You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we're chatting with Jeremy Ryan Slate, the founder of the number one business podcast, Create Your Own Life, which studies the highest performers in the world and has been downloaded over 2.5 million times. Jeremy's podcast was named one of the top podcasts for entrepreneurs by CIO and Inc. Magazine. Jeremy is a former high school teacher and champion powerlifter turned new media entrepreneur. He was named one of the top millennial influencers to follow in 2018 by BuzzFeed. After his success in podcasting, Jeremy and his wife founded Command Your Brand, a top PR firm for the podcasting space, helping visionary founders use the power of podcasts to change the world. In this episode, we talk about how Jeremy started out in his career in a multitude of jobs and how he stacked his skills to land on his current and flourishing career in podcasting. We'll also discuss Jeremy's best podcast interview and monetization tips and his guidance for commanding your brand. Hey, Jeremy, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really stoked to be here and chat with you. I know like you were on my show not too long ago and my audience was thrilled. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of uh, repay the favor here, I guess. Yeah, I'm super excited for this conversation. Actually, I think we have a lot in common that we actually didn't really talk about the last time we had this conversation. So Jeremy is a host of a really popular number one business podcast. It's called Create Your Own Life. And uh, we had a great conversation. So if you guys want to check me out on that podcast, definitely go check out his podcast, subscribe to it. And it turns out we are both from New Jersey, small towns in New Jersey, actually. So tell us about where you grew up. So I grew up in Hamburg, New Jersey, like uh, New Jersey's kind of like a point. Um, we're right here, right below High Point Mountain. So I grew up in a small town, five eighths of a mile in size. I now live in Morris County, but we just bought a house and I'm moving back to, to Stillwater in Sussex County. So uh, I guess it's still a small town living for me. Yeah. So I'm in Watchung, New Jersey. I grew oh up in Watchung, New Jersey. Yeah. And that so- was all over weird New Jersey about like the guy that like jumps off the tower and the Watchung Park and all that. I was very into weird New Jersey growing up. So it was like a ha- it's like a haunted place, yes. like lots of <laughs> uh, ancient Indian type of things. Yeah. It's, it was a fun town to grow up in because on Halloween we would always go do like creepy things. Um, but yeah, I'm back in Watchung because of COVID, but soon I'll be back in Brooklyn. But it's great to have a fellow New Jerseyan on the podcast. I think you're only, I think you're the second person from New Jersey I ever interviewed, which is funny enough. And we're probably the two, one of the two most successful podcasters from New Jersey here at the same time. (laughs) But the important question is, is it Taylor Ham or Pork Roll? That really is the debate. Taylor Ham. Okay. Thank God. (laughs) That's what you say? Okay. We're getting some coffee and going to the mall. My wife's family's from Philly. So like they're close enough that they call it Pork Roll. And I'm like, no, that's sacrilege. What are you talking about? (laughs) And the other thing that people from New Jersey do, and I'm surprised you didn't ask me this, is what exit are, are you off of? Oh, it's because I hate or that what question. Mall are you near? It's it's because I hate the what exit question because like like I'm in Northwest New Jersey, like the Garden State Parkway. If I want to get to it, it's like 45 minutes. So like I'm not an exit. We're so far <laughs> away. We're like Route 80 is 20 minutes from you my don't house. Even count? <laughs> no, we don't count. We don't. We're, we're, like, we're almost Pennsylvania. Yeah, and so you went to Seton Hall, and I think we are really around relatively the same age. So that's I was born in 87. Cool. Yep. So we're, we're around the same age. Could have been in the same high school, I think. So that's pretty cool. Nice to meet you. Nice to have you on the show. Okay. So let's talk about your career journey. You've had a really, really extraordinary career journey. You've had several jobs. And from my understanding, you studied religion at Seton Hall. And uh, it was pretty difficult for you to get a job right out of college with that degree. So talk to us about why you picked that degree and kind of what happened after college, picking a, a degree that wasn't so business 
oriented. Well, it's interesting, too, because like, I don't know, I just feel like the way college is set up and like, you know, I love Seton Hall is a great experience, but I think the way college is set up, like really isn't set up for people to go out and get a job and create a business and things like that. Like, so for me, like, and I don't know what my parents were thinking. I just really was going after things that interested me. You know, I, I was a, a double major in uh, in Catholic theology and also Torah. I'm not Jewish, but I found it interesting. And um, I had my master's in early Roman Empire propaganda, not a very like applicable skill in like, the world of getting a job. So for me, it was just going after things that, you know, really made me curious and really made me interested in things like that. Not really with the plan of, you know, what am I going to do with this after school? Now, the original plan, though, was to be a college professor. And I, you know, the, the thing is, is I don't know if I didn't want it bad enough, if it wasn't because it wasn't my dream, it was really my parents' dream, that I really didn't pursue it hard. I applied to one school, which is NYU. And when you're applying to a PhD program, you really want to, you know, get a graduate assistant job because like that is the real way it's going to work. And I didn't get an NYU. I didn't get a grad assistant job. So that was kind of the end of the road. And I didn't really fight harder for it. Right. It was just the end of it. So so when I got out of that, that was 2011. So it was not too long after the 2008 crash. So the economy was like really weird for getting a job. And when you get out with a degree, you know, with a master's in history, what do you do? You know what I mean? Like I also studied literature at New College Oxford. So like I had all these like things that were interesting, but not really like usable. Right. So I actually ended up um, working for a friend that was an old school house painter. And I would work with him from 630 in the morning till five o'clock in the afternoon every day. And when I say old school, like, you know, like those old houses in Morristown that are like painted like three different colors because of the old Victorians. We did those by hand, hand scraping, hand painting, 40 foot ladders. And that was my day. And I would come home at night. I'd have like 40 minutes to eat dinner and I'd go, um, I managed the gym at night. I work at the gym from six until 11. Luckily my manager would let me work on the job, which was nice. And then I'd get up and do the same thing the next morning. So I did that for really about nine months, nine months to a year or somewhere around that right after school. And then I actually ran into a priest friend of my family. that's like, hey, you know, the Catholic school I teach at is looking for teachers. You don't really need a degree. So I ended up actually doing that. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I didn't have a lot of training, right? I couldn't manage 40 kids, but they threw me in a classroom, said good luck. And that was kind of the end of it. And like, I hated my life. Like, I just was not very happy doing it. And then in 2012, my mom ended up, ended up having a really bad stroke. And that was a lot of, I guess, what kind of spun me out, you know? Yeah. And so this is a key point of us having things in common. So my dad passed away last May from I'm COVID. Sorry to hear that. It's okay. And since he passed away, I started a business. I quit my corporate job. My podcast grew 2000% and essentially just lit a fire under my ass. And I realized that like life has a limit. We're all going to die, you know, and it's like, do I want to be, you know, working this corporate job at Disney for the rest of my life, working for somebody else, somebody else's dream? Or do I want to go all in on, on, you know, some of the things that I had started, which was Young and Profiting Podcast and try to make it work. And all of a sudden, these opportunities that I was blind to started to appear. So talk to us about how this your your mother's stroke and she's still with you, I think. Right? She is. So, yeah, she's pretty disabled at this time. You know, she has, she's learned to walk um, in a non-traditional fashion, but she's lost the use of the right side of her body. She has something called acute global aphasia, which means that she can take all the communication in the world in, but she can't get it out. Like it kind of gets jumbled on the way out. So, you know, like we still have her, her with us, which, you know, like my mom saw me get married. My mom saw me have two beautiful daughters. So it's that part of it is, is really incredible Though it has been difficult in the family in a lot of ways. But to me, it really made me see the finiteness of life, right? The, 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 because at, you know, at 19, I, I had a knee surgery go wrong and I got last rites and everything else and, and nothing changed. Like I've always been a health nut my whole life. So I woke up and I just wanted a Taylor ham sandwich. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't anything that changed my life. But when it was my mom, I think it was because it was something outside of myself and not myself. Cause I think when we're young, we're selfish, right? It really made me look for something different. And honestly, I was just like a lot of people. I had fear, I had anxiety, I had all these different things. And that was 2012, that was March. I didn't make any sort of move until June of 2013. So that's almost a year. And my wife was presented a network marketing opportunity, which I didn't know what that was. So I saw this presentation. I like, I thought I was gonna get like an employee handbook, like all this kind of stuff. And like, you know, I quit my job. I called the principal. And I said, hey, I'm leaving. And he actually laughed me off the phone. And and that was kind of the end of that. So I did that for about two years. And 
It was and hard. By the way, you didn't have much on the line because that salary was like twenty grand or oh, something if that, ridiculous, like, right? If that. Like you, you, because you work eighty to one hundred hours a week and you're making like nothing. So how I went, is that even possible? Like, as a teacher to make twenty something grand? Because well, you're not a year. in a teachers' union, right? That's you. You make money because you're in a teachers' union. In a private school, you you don't. It's like working at Burger King. So like, you know what I mean? It's crazy, and they always want more out of you. So like, you know, it's in some ways. I had invested a lot of like in an education career because, you know, like I went to school to be the ultimate student and I thought I was going to be a teacher. So like to me, it was kind of realizing this thing isn't what I wanted it to be, because first of all, as I said, I didn't pursue the original version of it, which is being a college professor. And I quit my job and I went full time in network marketing, which was stupid because then I tried everything that I could to make this thing work. Like I started an at home personal training company where I was knocking on people's doors and doing surveys with them and convincing them to be clients so I could then sell them products and things like that. So I really tried about two years to make this thing go right and it just didn't. And when you say network marketing, what is that exactly? Like they give you products and then for free and you have to sell them and give them a, a cut of the products? No. So, so you, ha you initially like buy in, like you buy like a, a you know, starter box of products to, to get started. And then you try to sell those people, try to recruit other people to do it. But like you kind of realize the only way you actually make money is by recruiting other people. So eventually so it becomes like a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, it becomes like a Ponzi scheme. And eventually, like, I don't know, it ruins your social interactions because you're like, how I heard you don't like your life and your career. I have this thing like you find it kind of going into every conversation you're having. And that's and it just became weird for me. So I actually ended up just eventually leaving that and going into selling life insurance, which I was I was actually good at. I made a really decent amount of money selling life insurance. But eventually getting up every day and having conversations with people about death was you know, it just wasn't the most pleasant thing out there. So I did that for, you know, about six months. And I actually, I made more in those six months than I made in two years teaching combined, but I wasn't happy. And I went from there to then I had heard this podcast with Ryan Moran, um, it was called Freedom Fastlane back in the day. And I was like, oh, you can sell products on Amazon. Great. So I like learned how to do that. And I bought like 250 products from China. And one of the things you do when you launch a product is you sell it for a dollar. Like you get a promo code, you get a bunch of people you know to buy it so that the sales volume goes up. Well, I left the promo code on my listing and lost all my products in the first 20 minutes to one address in Maryland. I guess somebody figured me out. And that was oh like, the, that was the end of it, right? So like, <laughs> so my entrepreneurial career was very quickly three things that did not work out. And I was just like, all right, I, I, I give up, I quit. So I actually ended up working at a friend's marketing firm. And that was one of the best experiences of my life because I, it was the apprenticeship I was missing in my life. I learned how to build websites. I learned how to, how to, how do you actually charge a client? How do you run a business? And I just started the podcast as like a creative outlet for me. And that's a lot of, you know, what's motivated what I'm doing now. So right now you have a podcast. You also have Command Your Brand Media Agency. Talk to us about what you do today. And then I have some questions in terms of like how you connected the dots. So uh, our company is called Command Your Brand. And we, we look at ourselves as the PR firm for the podcast space because there's a lot of people that like quote book podcasts. But I like to say my wife is the smartest person I know. She's been in PR for gosh, like 12 plus years now. I'm, I'm, I'm really her creation in a lot of ways. And uh, we came together as, as co-founders of this company and we've really tried to take what I know about podcasting and what she knows about PR and do an incredible job positioning clients, getting them booked on the right shows, but also like at the same time, like as a podcaster, the thing I really don't like is people that come in and try to, you know, disrupt the integrity of your show. So that's a lot of what we're trying to keep going with what we do at Command Your Brand. And we've grown a lot over the years. We've got a team of 17 and we're, we're really trying to make a big impact in the world. Oh, that's amazing. So you get authors and celebrities on other podcasts and you work with other podcasts to help fill their lineup. Yeah, that, that's really what we do. We, we don't work, work as much like from the booking side, though we know exactly what shows are looking for because we run this massive database of like, hey, if you get XYZ, I'm looking for it, let me know. And then we, when we try to actually pitch people is what they're looking for. Really cool. Yeah. I can't wait to talk to you about that because I think that there's some synergies I was telling you with my agency and yours, and we could probably make some money together. So I love that idea. <laughs> let's talk about it later. Okay, cool. So let's talk about skill stacking. This is something that I talk about a lot on my podcast. And I feel like one of the reasons that I'm successful is that I also had many, many different working experiences. I worked at a hair salon. I worked at the mall. I worked as a marketing in corporate marketing. I had a website. I was an entrepreneur. I was an event planner. I worked at a water company. You name it. Like I had a million <laughs> jobs right. and all of those jobs gave me something each time that I kind of stacked together 
And now I'm really fulfilling my destiny with Young and Profiting Podcast, Yap Media. Everything is coming full circle. And it's because I stacked so many different skills together to provide this unique offering to the world. So tell us, like, is there something from the painting experience that you're using in podcasting? Is there something from what you studied in school that's helping you now? Like, walk us through how you stacked your skills to become, you're one of the most successful podcasters out there. So how did you do it? You know, that's really interesting because I do feel like, I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, I think education, the way it's set up, like really isn't helping us because we don't learn a lot of these hard skills, a lot of these ideas, a lot of things like that. Like there are certain careers, like if you're a doctor, I do not want you touching me if you haven't went to school. But like there, there are certain things that really we learn from experience. And, you know, like, and, and I think we have this weird thing about failure in society too. Like when you fail, it doesn't work out. But everything I fail that I've learned something from, you know, working with customers and, and like when I work with the painter, right? He would actually, after he painted somebody's house, I've never seen somebody do this before, he would clean their house. I was like, that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. But because of that, he would get incredible referrals because of how he always serviced the customer with more than what they were looking for. You know, so they would always want to tell people about like this painter that just cleaned my house and, you know, did an incredible job doing that. So like he would get all these referrals. It allowed him to charge double whatever other people charge and things like that. So, you know, there's that aspect of it. But also as somebody that was very into history, the most incredible skill I've learned is I can research like nobody else's business, right? Like I, I'm very, very good at that. I, I also like the thing as well, and I was talking to my wife about this this morning is like just my understanding of language because, you know, of taking Latin for 12 years and doing these things like that. So it allows me to keep up conversations with a lot of different people in different perspectives, different cultures and things like that. Because I'm not an expert at anything, but I have enough understanding of different things that I can at least hold my weight in a conversation. So it's really helped me as a conversationalist. So there's, there's definitely like, I could go on and on and on, but there's so many different things that I've learned from each one of these things that had I not done them, I would not be doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. And I think it's just a lesson to all the people listening out there, like go out and, and try different things, get different experiences, you know? Don't fear failure. I think too many people like fear failure because we're told it's this bad thing. But if you look at lots of successful people, you know, we were talking about Jason Waller earlier. You look at how many times that dude has failed and what he's doing now, like it's incredible. And I think th that is our greatest teacher. Yeah, by the way, Jason Waller, he is the CEO of Power Home Solar, one of my clients and literally <laughs> a billionaire. He's the yes. richest, most successful guy that I know. He is a baller. So yeah, skill stacking is super important. Making sure that you don't just, just because you went to school for something does not mean you have to stay in that lane forever. You can pivot and make a lot more money than what you you know signed up for when you were 17 years old and you didn't know what the hell you were doing with your life or you didn't know you know, what it was like to be in the real world. Well, and it's knowledge versus application, right? I think that's the biggest thing is we, we've had this idea of knowledge, 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 knowledge. But if you never have application, you're, you're never going to, you know, achieve something, right? Because here's the, here's the, the scary part, right? How many kids go to school for, what do we go to school for? Like 12 years, 14 years or something like that, I right? Mean, like 12 years at least. Yeah. yeah. They get out, they do a job for a year and like, oh dear God, this is not what I wanted to do. Like, so does that make your whole life is messed up? So I think at the same time, you have to look at, there needs to be some sort of idea of apprenticeships or something, you know, where people get experience and then maybe go to college after that. Like there has to be something more. Yeah, I totally agree. Things need to change. And since it's not like embedded in the school system, I would recommend anyone who's listening, who's in high school, go get a job. Just start working. Even if your parents don't want you to, I promise it's going to help you out in the future. If you're in college, get a part-time job, get an internship, get 10 internships if you can. That is how you will stand out when you actually graduate and get a job. Well, and it's like for me, I got a, I had a newspaper route from the time I was 11. Uh, my parents always thought it was like really, really important to do. So like not to toot my own horn, but I was like newspaper of the year, like eight years in a row and a newspaper carrier of the year, eight years in a row here in Jersey. Um, but like that was one of the best experiences I learned because, you know, like I learned how to handle customers. I learned how to handle complaints. I learned how to handle all these different things. And when you learn that at a young age, that is so invaluable because it's going to change how you approach everything. It really does. I have a, a funny story. When I was in college, I worked at a clothing store called Art and B and it was commission based and I would get 25% of whatever I sold. 
That's a really good commission percentage. That is crazy. I was making so much money (laughs) at like 19 years old wearing all these hot outfits. And then I'd get all these rich ladies to buy the same outfits I was wearing. And I learned how to hustle. Like that taught me such good sales skills. Um, I bought my first car because of all the tips I got at Christmas time. Like people are really generous. Like for the newspaper carriers at Christmas time, I bring in like two to five K every Christmas. So I bought my first car cash because I had made it, you know, from newspaper carrying. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They're in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who wanna try LinkedIn ads. You can get a $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Yap fam. Starting my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass was one of the best things I've ever done for my business. I didn't have to waste time figuring out all the nuts and bolts of setting up a website that had everything I needed, like a way to buy my course subscription offerings, chat functionality, and so on, because it was super easy with Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your first product, finally taking your side hustle full-time, or making half a million dollars from your masterclass like me. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered as you scale. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to other options out there. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, from huge shoe brands like Allbirds to vegan cosmetic brands like Thrive Cosmetics. Actually, back on episode 253, I interviewed the CEO and founder of Thrive Cosmetics, Carissa Bodnar, and she told me about how she set up her store with Shopify and it was so plug and play, her store exploded right away. Even for a makeup artist type girl with no coding skills, it was easy for her to open up a shop and start her dream job as an entrepreneur. That was nearly a decade ago. And now it's even easier to sell more with less thanks to AI tools like Shopify Magic. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. So you can focus on the important stuff, the stuff you like to do. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. And that's all lowercase. If you want to start that side hustle you've always dreamed of, if you want to start that business you can't stop thinking about, if you have a great idea, what are you waiting for? Start your store on Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. Shopify.com slash profiting for a $1 per month trial period. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You gotta beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. 
And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password and then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. That's absolutely amazing. So I heard you on John Lee Dumas's podcast, which by the way, congratulations. Thank like, you. What an amazing Oh my look. gosh, that was that a while was, ago too. <laughs> I know. Huh? You know, we do our research here too. So I uh, listened to that podcast and you mentioned Cal Newport and one of his books is your favorite books. It's called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And in it, he discusses why, you know, it's more important to focus on talent and skills rather than your passion. And that it's actually really dangerous to go ahead and follow your passion. And I think you saw that firsthand. You were interested in religion and all that kind of stuff. And then you followed your passion and then there was no jobs, right? And so talk to us about that and what should we do instead if we're not following our passion? Well, and I appreciate you mentioning that because this is the book I literally, I buy everyone and recommend to everyone because Cal talks about finding something you're good at and continuing to work at it and work at it and work at it. And you become passionate about something when it becomes effortless and you're good at it. So I I think that's what you really need to focus on is, you know, what do you like? What do your skills align with? What produces money? Because I think too often people look at it and they're like, okay, well, I love, you know, basket weaving, but I don't want to know what to do with that. So you have to figure out what do you like? that produces money that you could do every day. So I think it's really, really important to focus on those skills and continue to build those skills and become the best at that. And then the, the, pe- the part where people mess up is they don't document their skills so when they do build a company, they can't bring other people on. Like how you bring people into your organization is vital. Like we write step by step by step every process in our company. We video every process in our company because you want people to be able to do things just like you did them. Because if you figured out the secrets and how things work, you know, why should you leave it up to chance that somebody else is going to understand that? So find what you're good at, continue to get better at it, and then figure out how you're going to expand in that and make a bigger impact. To me, that is the biggest thing that you should be looking at, not following your passion. Like I just, and I feel like internet marketing has ruined us for this. And I, I was talking to uh, a really awesome woman last week about this. Her name is Stephanie Malik. And we were talking oh about- gosh, like, she's about to be my client. Oh, she is Steph- awesome. I love Stephanie. She's, an inc- she's one of my favorite people. I was on the phone with her the other day. Um, but like- um, we were talking about this idea that like, because of internet marketing, we have this idea of like, you know, buy this course, buy this product, buy this coaching program, and like, everything's just gonna work out. And it's not that way. It's experience built on experience, built on experience, and it's hard, and it takes time, but that is how you get there. There is no excuse for hard work, and there's no, there's, you know, nothing else like it. Yeah, 100%, couldn't agree more. I love how you brought in the fact that scaling your operations is equally as important for success. I've seen so many podcasters. You can build a prison for yourself if you don't. I know, and and you just stunt your growth. And I, I see a lot of people burn out because they don't know how to delegate and scale their business. And actually you have a bunch of podcasters that like last year we were all on the same level and most of them have fizzled out while... I feel like I've succeeded because I grew a team and it's, it's so important. But they also have, when you're talking about podcasters fizzling out, I'm sorry to take you off topic, but they also at the same time, they have the wrong idea on it as well because everybody out there wants to be Joe Rogan or wants to be um, Joe Budden or like one of these shows out there. But like the thing they have to understand is less than 1% of podcasters will ever be those people. So you have to figure out how what you're building is gonna support everything else you're doing, not just build something, get a CPM up and hopefully get some ads. That's just, it's not gonna support most people. So you have to figure out how you can use this to create JVs, how you can use this to network, how you can use this to create more trust for your business, that's where you're going to see the most effort. Less than 1% of people are ever going to make money off, you know, big money off ads. 100% agree. I think you need to know your priorities when it comes to podcasting. So let's talk about your podcasting journey because it is interesting. I think you started with one podcast and it failed and then you launched another one. So talk to us about your journey and, and how did you crack the code when it comes to podcasting? So the first version of my podcast was called Rock Your Life. I launched it in 
June of 2014. Pretty early, by the way. Like, that's pretty damn early. Yeah, it was kind of like in that second, that, like, second wave. Because I think, like, you know, like, you know, 08, 09, and then it kind of, like... That's when, like, Jordan Harbinger, Lewis Howes all came out, and then you were second wave. Yeah, so then, like... So I started this one called Rock Your Life, and it was it was just bad. Like, because people that know me personally know, like, I am the least, like, life coachy person, like, you could ever meet. People tell me their problems. I'm like, all right, get over it. What are we going to do about it? But like this show was not that. It was like, you can achieve your dreams and you can, like, I feel like it was that movie Blades of Glory. Hi, I'm Jimmy and you can do it. Like, it just was not very good. It was a solo show or? It was a solo show. I had like an interview sprinkled in and I would usually record these things the night before without a microphone on my old iBook G4. So like, it was just, it was bad. And my only listener, I believe, was my mom. Like literally, it was literally that bad. And I just remember, like, um, I was engaged at that time and, and not married yet. And I remember arguing with my wife the night before. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, my fans, they need me. She's like, not to be rude, but you don't have fans. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, I, I was really weird about this whole thing, and it just was not very good. So I quit about 60 days in. And I had went to uh, I went to Peru, and I did a, a, a trip with Rotary International, which is a really, really great experience. And I came back, and I'm kind of like, all right, what, what am I going to do with my life? I got married in September that year. I was working at the Friends Marketing Firm, you know, doing all right, making 20, 20 bucks an hour, which is, you know, it's decent, but it's not, not a living. So I started the podcast really just as a hobby, which became Create Your Own Life. And it took off because I approached it more as a professional, right? Like professionalism is the biggest thing missing in podcasting. And that doesn't mean like you have to have like the super expensive mic, but have a decent one and things like that. And really approaching like, how can I do this as a professional? Like, what does good design look like? You know, what people does my audience, do my audience want to learn from? Does my audience really want to learn from me and not like this weird vision of myself I had created? So I think that's the thing as well. So I started with a list of the top 100 people I most admired, reached out to them, First person I reached out to was actually Seth Godin. He was super nice, but he said, when you get to 400, let me know. So he was episode 400. But like, you you really need to really aim at getting the right people on your show and really having the right conversations and adding value. So we had 10,000 listens in our first 30 days. And, you know, really from there, the rest was history. This episode of Yap is sponsored by LinkedIn Learning. Everyone's career is different and reaching your goals takes time. LinkedIn Learning offers courses based on the in-demand skills trending on LinkedIn taught by industry experts. So no matter where your career is headed, you can learn the skills to make it happen. Engineers are learning cutting edge languages to build better products. Salespeople are learning to ask better questions to make their numbers. What courses will you take so the job you want becomes the job you get? Me, I took a course called Turning Life Wisdom into Business Success with Guy Kawasaki, which by the way, I would love to have Guy on the show and I'm manifesting that right now. The course just took a little over an hour to complete and is based on his book, Wise Guy. It covers topics like practicing gratitude, the art of negotiating, how to overcome rejection and more. These are some of my favorite topics. As a brand new entrepreneur with over 40 employees, learning from a marketing and business guru like Guy was absolutely priceless. I heard his entertaining stories, his mistakes, his aha moments, and that really helped the lesson stick and retain in my mind. I loved it. The other courses I'm planning to take are on executive presence, decision-making, and sales closing strategies. As an entrepreneur, it is super important for me to keep on learning and moving my team forward, especially since I'm pretty much the oldest and most experienced person on my team. No matter your goal, LinkedIn Learning helps you learn the skills to make it happen. LinkedIn Learning. Try one month for free at linkedinlearning.com slash free month. That's linkedinlearning.com slash free month. This episode of Yap is sponsored by Capsule. In a recent episode, we were talking about how there's a silver lining with the coronavirus. The healthcare industry has advanced 10 years with telehealth and remote work and education has finally become more commonplace. If you're like me, you're enjoying these new perks of instant access and convenience. But it did make me think. In this world, you can get pretty much anything delivered to your door. So why are we still going to the pharmacy, having to wait in line and pick up our prescriptions? The brick and mortar pharmacy just feels so 2019. And I thought there has to be a better way. And it turns out there is. Capsule is a new kind of pharmacy that hand delivers your prescription the same day for free. Here's how Capsule works. It's so easy. To start, visit capsule.com. It only takes 15 seconds to sign up. 
When your prescription is ready, Capsule will text you to schedule free delivery at the time you choose. Then a Capsule courier hand delivers your medication to your door straight from their pharmacy in a tamper-proof package. It's totally secure. And if you have any questions, you can call, text, or email with an expert pharmacist. It's that simple. No more waiting in line, no more driving to the pharmacy, no more forgetting refills. Best of all, even though it's a way better experience, Capsule doesn't cost any more than your old pharmacy. It's no wonder why Capsule has over 6,000 five-star reviews. Everyone loves this service and I'll skip the pharmacy anytime. Capsule accepts all major insurance and is currently available in New York City and the surrounding tri-state area, Austin, Boston, Chicago, the Twin Cities, and LA, and other cities are coming soon. To sign up, visit Capsule.com to get your prescription hand-delivered today for free. That's Capsule.com. That's really good, 10,000 listens in the first 30 days. And some lesson that I want to just point out to my listeners is your first rodeo might not be your breakout show, <laughs> your breakout business, whatever it is. Like for me, Young and Profiting Podcast is technically like my fifth show. I had a YouTube show. I had a Facebook show. I had... Well, you had radio experience too. Yeah, I had radio experience, online radio shows. So it's like, you got to get your reps in. So essentially your first show was a way for you to like get practice on the mic, understand how to do audio editing, you know, understand how to launch a podcast. Then your second go around, you went in it with so much more knowledge. And that's my favorite saying is when you start from failure, you don't start from scratch, you start from experience. And that is a game changer. Well, and there's also iterations of that as well, right? Like, because, you know, we've been doing this for, gosh, like five and a half years or something like now at this point. So like, even like, how I have conversations now versus how I had conversations then are different. Like I would over-prepare and I'd have 35 questions for an interview, which made it more like a jail cell interrogation. Like it wasn't very good for you know the person listening or the person being interviewed. So I really tried to focus on those soft skills because those are the things that are gonna make you better. So I looked at like, who do, who do I think is a great interviewer? And there's two people I really focused on because I think they're really the best at what they do. Uh, one being Larry King, the other being Oprah Winfrey. And, and I was actually shocked by the way, because I think Oprah doesn't get enough credit because she asks people some really good questions. You're like, damn, Oprah, where'd that come from? So like, I've really focused on like, how do the, the job of interviewing, how do good people interview? And I, I've learned, and you've probably seen this as, as well, Hala, the, the question you ask first is not the most important one, but it's the follow-up that comes after that. So I learned how to do really good follow-up questions because you're just setting somebody up to open up the conversation. So, and continually work on that and work on that and work on that. And it took hundreds of interviews. So I felt good about it. Yeah. Is there any other like little interview hacks that you can tell us about that that you've learned along the okay, way? Okay, this is going to sound crazy, but literally just having like a notepaper next to me, because one of the biggest things that happens is like, you know, a guest says something. I'm like, oh my God, that's brilliant. That's going to be the follow-up I ask. And a lot of people, what happens is when you do that, you're trying to remember that thought and you stop listening. So what I do is when I get it, I just write it down and regurgitate it. And it's kind of like, you know, weird to look at my own chicken scratch and figure it out, but it makes it so that I can actually be present and listening to the person and, you know, continue to have a conversation with them because you may find that thing you wanted to ask really distracts from where it ended up. So you need to figure out how to use that better. So that's one thing. Another thing as well, and this is something that I know your team is really good at, is doing the right kind of prep before an interview. So my method on it is I like to find, you know, one or two interviews that they've done with people I really admire. And I'll listen to not the whole thing, but maybe like half of it, because there's some things you want to look for their tone, you know, like how they how they communicate when they answer things. Are they long? Are they short? Do they need longer questions? Do They need shorter questions. You also want to know, like, are there certain things for them that are no goes? Are there certain questions that annoy them? Um, like I had um, Kelly Earnhardt Miller on the show. She's the the daughter of the uh, race car driver, the late Dale Earnhardt. And the question she hates the most is being asked, you know, what's it like being a woman in racing? Because she goes like, I've been here for a long time. I've earned my stripes. Why are people asking me that question? So for, for me, it was more like, you know, what's it like in a sport that's growing and, um, you know, in a sport that most of America doesn't understand. So that's an interesting question for her. Like, you don't want to ask people things that annoy them because they don't want to talk to you anymore, you know? Yeah. And then the whole mood of the conversation. I think part of our jobs as podcasters is to keep the mood like super positive and like make somebody feel welcome, open, that you're interested. And 
not being able to listen and active listening, I think is so underrated when it comes to podcasting. I think listening is one of the most important things. And I feel like my worst interviews are when I'm not listening enough and I'm like too absorbed with my notes or my questions. No, absolutely. Because like, and also, I don't know if you've seen this, but like, this is weird too, because the number of times I've done it, like I know you had like Matthew McConaughey on the show and you've had a lot of like big names in the show. Like for me, like people I really admire, um, I actually have to go take a walk before those interviews because I still stress myself out to this day before big interviews. So like at the same time, like I find you have to chill yourself out so you can also be present. Like um, we had former Eagles Hall of Famer Brian Dawkins on the show not too long ago. And B-Doc is one of the coolest guys I've ever seen playing football. Like I was stressed. I had to go for a walk. So sometimes you also have to realize like how do you have to handle yourself so you can be present? Yeah, 100%. For me to... My my best way of not stressing out over a big interview is is listening to like a hundred of their interviews. So I literally <laughs> feel like I know everything about their life and like I can just pay attention. I think that's really the key for me is just over prepping so I could just feel comfortable to pay attention. Okay, so let's talk about your book, God of Branding. What made you write this book? And then let's talk about some tactical advice when it comes to personal branding. Well, because I think the thing I wanted people to understand is personal branding applies absolutely everywhere and is kind of the oldest trick in the book. Like, you know, if you look at the propaganda that, uh, you know, Augustus Caesar used to convince people he was God, it's not far from the same that, you know, people are trying to convince people how cool their lives are on social media now. So I just wanted people to understand that the concepts that have been used for many, many, many years and passed down from generations are not different. Just the mediums and the ways we use them are different. So the thing I really want people to get is that these are tactics that don't, the strategy doesn't change, the tactics do. Because I think people get really confused between strategy and tactics. You know, if Instagram changes something, that's a tactic. Your strategy overall should be the same. Okay, so I have a a great story that I want you to share that I think is gonna set up some context for this. So you used an ancient example of how Pompey the Great positioned and branded himself as a god to reach an audience. Can you share that story with us? Yeah, so Pompey the Great, um, he was a really interesting character. So him and Julius Caesar were, were basically competing to decide like who... And this wasn't like an actual like competition people knew about, but it was between these two these guys, like who Rome was going to value more. And what he did is he realized that people really liked Alexander the Great and they really venerated Alexander the Great. So he said, okay, how am I going to show people I'm the new Alexander? So the biggest thing Alexander did is he conquered what was called, you know, the known world at that time, which would have been Europe, Africa, and Asia. So he goes, okay, cool. I'm going to figure out how I can conquer people in Europe, Africa, and Asia. And I'm going to have the same type of, you know, The parades were called Roman Triumph. There was these big, like, beautiful parades. So he did that. He also realized that he had to get the people on his side, right? He had to get people to really, really like him. And that was what was really effective. And then what Caesar did is he goes, okay, I'm just going to connect myself to the gods and show people I'm God that way. And what it really didn't work out because it was more of this, like, top-down approach rather than a bottom-up approach. Things work a lot better when they come from people rather than when they're being pushed on people. So that's why it was really effective. What other tips can you give us for personal branding? Like where should somebody start? And and I always say this, you have a personal brand, whether you like it or not, because everything's on the internet now. If you Google your name, that's your personal brand. So it's up to you to like kind of shape it the way that you want. So what do you suggest like where people start if they feel like they've never proactively tried to create a personal brand? Well, the first thing is like figuring out what's out there first, like because that's vital and it's, you know, the same reason that I use three names. It's not because I enjoy people calling me like, you know, my middle name, which is only what my mom used to call me when I was in trouble, but it's because my parents named me after a cowboy actor. So I couldn't rank in Google forever. So like, you have to figure out like what's already out there and what already exists because it may not even be about you. Like one of my good friends, his name is Kyle Gray, which is also the name of a psychic. So he had a lot of trouble getting found. So you have to find out first and foremost, what's out there and how can you separate yourself from that? So that's why I started using my middle name. The other thing as well is when the people that you want to have an impact on, who are their influencers? You know, who are the people they look to? And I I always give the example of like the financial space, right? If you look at, you know, Dave Ramsey versus Susie Orman, people are on different sides listening to both these people. So they have a very different type of listener and very different type of person that's going to like those people. So that's going to give you a better idea of what they like, who they follow, what positioning you're trying to get. And when you go from there, you're then going to have a good blueprint of how did it work for them? Where did they go? What did they do? And then you can start writing industry publications, industry podcasts, stuff like that. But it really starts with understanding what's out there, how you can be different, and then you know putting yourself out there. Okay. So I know that you have another book coming out. It is called Extraordinary, Overcome Extreme Adversity and Create Your Best Life. What is that book about? 
So for me, this is the thing I've wanted to write for years and years and years, and I've always told myself the time was never correct. And it, we were hoping to get it out in the fall, but you know, just due to the crazy year it's had and some of the awesome guests we actually have that are coming on to be a part of it, we're going to be moving in the launch to the spring. Um, but it's really the, sev the, the, the seven characteristics I've seen in people that are extraordinary. One being, we've talked about a lot here, and the idea of adversity and how it kind of makes you grow. Another being that not letting other people define your success. And at the same time, like that people that are extraordinary know that, you know, following your passion may not be the best way. So it's, it's interesting because I feel like this is the thing that really embodies everything I find myself talking about every single day. And it goes through a lot of the stories that we, we've had, you know, in the book from, you know, the former CIA director to, um, you know, gold medal athletes to Hall of Famers. And it really takes a look at what are those things and shows you how in a lot of ways they're just like you, but what they did to become extraordinary and how that's really open to any of us. That's really exciting. And so you said that's coming out in the spring. We're definitely going to have to have you come back on, share more about that book. Um, so I want to circle back to the podcast because we were talking about how a lot of podcasts, their goal is to make money by ads. And that's actually a real big long shot. Like you said, not many podcasters are going to ever get the amount of downloads that they need to actually get a decent amount of money from CPMs or cost per 1000 downloads by advertisers. Now I see me and you both in the podcast apps doing media buying and stuff like that. So we've got a little, you know, strategies ourselves to make sure that we do get the downloads. But from my understanding, you monetized in a completely different way, at least at first. So talk to us about how you first monetize your podcast. So there, there was two different things I was doing early on. Um, one of those being I found affiliate offers for things that I really liked. And that's something people can do from day one. Like we've used Audible forever because I think that it's changed a little bit. It used to be they gave you 15 bucks for every free book you gave away. I think it's like 10 bucks now. Um, but it, that's been really good because I just tell the audience what I'm reading every day. And we still do this one quite a bit to this day. And then they go grab the book for free and, you know, they get paid for it, which is great. And I get paid for it, which is great. So like we've done a lot of affiliate offers with products I really like and, you know, I've really liked to use and things like that. The other thing as well is flat rate advertising, because as you mentioned, ads are, they, they try to do podcast ads like they've done radio ads. And they try to do um, a cost per, per thousand, which is anywhere from 15 to 25 bucks, you know, sometimes on the higher end. So, you know, if you get a thousand downloads, you make 25 bucks. That sucks. Like, that's not fun. So like, especially for all the work you put in and everything else. So like what I've told people to do, and I've seen it be very effective, is flat rate advertising. You know, maybe initially you can charge a hundred bucks for a 60 second spot or a thousand bucks for a 60 second spot, because it is all who finds it valuable and who finds it worthwhile, because very niche podcasts in my mind are way more valuable than the big broad ones, because they're going to get people in front of the right type of audiences. So I tell people, find out you know, what an advertising spot in your show feels like it's worth to you to disrupt the flow of your show. Because it does, it is disruptive to a certain standpoint. And then once you're good with that, you can start selling spots for that rate if it works. And I've seen shows do very, very well with doing small advertising deals like that. And it allows them to fund more traffic, to fund different things so they can get up to an area where they can find it more supportive. So to me, that's the way for most podcasters to go is affiliate offers, flat rate advertising, and also as well, a lot of your guests will have high ticket items and you could also be an affiliate on some of those as well. So there's a lot of ways to make money if you have your, your eyes open to it. You're not just thinking, okay, we're going to build it up. We're going to get ads and you know, that's it because that's a very effect viewpoint, right? You're, you're waiting for things to happen to you rather than seeing how can I be more causative over the situation. And I love the idea of flat rate sponsorships. I talk about this a lot too. I do podcast office hours on Clubhouse. And I always tell people like, listen, if you're not getting like 5,000 downloads an episode, figure out what other communities and things that you can offer and then bundle all of that in into a flat rate sponsorship. So let's say you have 5,000 Instagram followers and you have maybe 10,000 on LinkedIn, bundle in social media posts. And then all of a sudden your offering as a whole has a lot more value because it's more oppression. So uh, you'll have better luck, I think, selling that than, than anything else. Well, and that's like you look at, um, I'm going to use the radio example again. You look at a lot, like a lot of what networks do, like, you know, Westwood One, like ABC Radio, like all these different things. You know, what are they doing? They're selling advertising spots on all the shows in their network as a whole and combining those numbers. So if you can figure out how to do that and how to bundle, you're going to make your offer look a lot better. Um, I've even had seen friends that have decided, okay, I'm going to build my own networks for the sake of selling advertising. Like that's a brilliant idea as well. So how can you really set it up so it's more valuable to the person buying from you, but also valuable to you as well. And you must be using it as a lead generation tool for your podcast booking agency. Is, is that correct? 
Absolutely. Because a lot of the people that we interview are people that we would want to have as clients, right? Like, you know, high level achievers that are doing really big things. So I think that's something to think about as well is how can I interview people that are going to be my perfect client? Because, you know, naturally that, that, a relationship should really work off of that. But I find too often people just aren't thinking with those things. So it's really a, it's a change in viewpoint from being effective what you're doing to being causative of what you're doing. Like, okay, how can I make this happen? And when you're doing these different things, you're, you're able to make it happen rather than waiting for life to happen to you. Young and profiters. Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at Yap. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm gonna like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I love that. And honestly, I think the reason why Young and Profiting Podcast has become so successful is because I realized that most of the people who come on my show are people that I could offer marketing to. They're best-selling authors, they're celebrities, they might have their own podcasts. So I started a marketing agency and a lot of the people who came on my show ended up being my clients. Then all of a sudden I had all this money to invest back into my podcast, into media buying and all that to grow the downloads and then monetize the downloads. So it's like, it's all being creative and not just thinking that there's one way to make money. And that goes for any business. It doesn't just have to be podcasting. It's, but you know, a lot of people think the only way to make money on podcasting is ads. And that's just not true. It's not true. And like, you know, just to go back to the idea of any business, like honestly, the, the, the way to grow any business and the way to fix problems in any business is more sales, right? Like, you know, if you're understaffed, okay, sell more stuff so you can hire more people. So I think that's the biggest thing is figuring out how, how can I get money in the door so that I can upgrade what I'm doing? You know what I mean? Like, but you can't just do it with nothing. So I know you talk about sales funnels a lot and uh, I'd love for you to kind of share your sales funnel and some of the tools or tips that you have in regards to building a sales funnel. So one of the things that, and this is, this has changed quite a bit over the years, but I, I find that the sales funnel that we use is coming from podcasts, right? Because a lot of what I'm doing is going on podcasts. So I, I have kind of this idea, I look at an interview. Every interview is going to have really three parts and they're going to be a little bit different in, in every show you're on, but it's really story, message, and call to action. So, you know, the, your personal story ties into what you're teaching, ties into what you want people to do at the end. So what you're giving away is going to be something that's a usable tool so that people actually go to get it. They get a win with you. And if they want to work with you, great. But then what they should be doing then is on that landing page that you're giving away the tool, there should be two separate pieces of code on that landing page. Uh, one is my absolute favorite thing that's doubled our email list in size from a year ago. It's called getemails.com. Um, they have a massive database of people that have opted in for different offers and things like that. So totally white hat, they can opt them into your list. Um, so we've literally doubled in size from that last year. The other thing is your 
your Facebook pixel for retargeting, which is a little bit harder now since they've changed, you know, how targeting pixels and things like that are used recently. Um, but it is something that should be on that landing page because I look at a landing page from a podcast as really like a leaky bucket, right? Where can I plug the holes in the bucket so I'm not losing people? Because you're going to have a very small percentage of people that are going to grab that offer and win with you. So you want to see how you can get more of them in. So have the offer, have the get emails code, also have the uh, retargeting pixel on there so that you can be hitting people in other places. But then once somebody's into your list, it's about building community with them in the way of showing them they're part of something. So I usually do a, a five to seven day, um, I think a new one seven days email sequence once they get in. Mm, like an onboarding. Yeah, we're, we're basically educating them about the biggest objections they would have to what we ha- what we do. And I think far too often people aren't talking about that and they're trying to handle that in a sales call and you're already in trouble then at that point. So what happens is when somebody comes to a sales call, they're already in the in, they're already ready to have the right type of conversation. And then, you know, from there people are just going through a series of emails and things like that. Our funnel we, it's it's gotten smaller over the years, but it's created better results. I find too often people get really stuck, I guess because they're used to how things work in e-commerce on, oh, I need a one-time offer. I need an upsell offer. I need all these different things. And really if it's simple, it's easier to fix what's going wrong and you can control a lot more of what's happening. Yeah, because it's all about like slightly optimizing, slightly optimizing until you have this like well-oiled machine. Very cool. Great tips. And we've been doing great with Google ads too, by the way. That's been our largest traffic source. Uh, Like we've been crushing it with uh, Google search ads and display ads. And that's for Command Your Brand, uh, the PR agency or for your podcast? For, For Command Your Brand. Really cool. Really cool stuff. Yeah. For me, honestly, my podcast is number one, my lead generation tool and referrals. We don't even have a sales funnel. I need to, <laughs> I need to get it together, but I mean, we're, we're already like have our hands full kind of, but uh, really cool stuff. The last question I want to ask you is growth tactics for your podcast, because you really impressive podcast. You've gotten a number of accolades. Weren't you like Best of Apple 2016 or some crazy uh, We stat. were the top podcast for uh, for uh, Inc. Magazine for 2019. I wish I was best of, of Apple. That would have been cool. But no, we were we were, t- we were top podcast for Inc. in 2019. Really cool. I mean, that's still super impressive. And I know you've hit number one and, you know, top 100, all of that. So what are your best strategies for actually growing a podcast? Well, I think first and foremost, it's finding out what's needed and wanted from the people that are listening to you. You know what I mean? You can't just force out there, you know, what you want to have people. You got to find out what they need and want. So one of the things is surveying your audience, what do they like, what do they not like, things like that. So that's really vital. The other thing as well is when you're creating content, and I, you know, once again, I know you guys are really good at this, is creating content that's native for each platform you're on. Like not creating one piece and trying to use it everywhere because it's just not going to work like that. Like on LinkedIn, And it's interesting because I don't know if it's working the same way for you it is for me, but I'm finding LinkedIn, it's back to long-form written content that's doing well. The video just isn't doing as well as it used to be. So we've been doing really well with using those 1,300 characters to tell a story in long-form written content. Um, Instagram, we're focusing a lot on really good stories with the swipe up because it is going to get people to the episode. And then at the same time, like those headliner-type clips on Instagram, um, but with large captions because you have to realize a lot of people that are viewing your content are probably viewing it on mute. So you want to realize that you have to get past that as well. So having the big, large captions, because the small ones are really hard to read, where you're going to grab somebody's attention and actually get them to listen to it. So, so that's another thing. Uh, at the same time as well, realizing that platforms hate links. And when I mean platforms, I am specifically mean uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. So how can you get creative to get people to an episode without actually putting a link in the post because they're going to downrank it and nobody's going to see it. Like I've had posts where I'll just take the link out of it and put it in the comments and it does incredibly when the first 30 minutes it was up, we got nothing. So you really need to figure out how can I make this work for the individual platform and learn more about the platform rather than just putting one piece of content everywhere. I'd love to just chime in to, to some of these. This is like my language. I love talking about this stuff. So <laughs> for LinkedIn, something that you have to realize with the videos is that they don't count the impressions in the same way. So when you see your video views, it literally means how many people saw the videos. It, it, it says views, just like it would a graphic post. But that actually means how many people saw a certain amount of your video, not necessarily impressions like all the other post text graphic. So you can basically times that by three to get a better idea of how many people actually saw that video. So the views are always going to seem really small on videos, even though they're not really. So Which you is really wild. To, I don't know if yeah. you saw this like three years ago, you could put up like anything and get 50 to 100,000 views easy. So I don't know if they've changed that algorithm since then, but it's, it's wild oh, what they're yeah, doing they, now. 
Yeah, polls are crushing it on LinkedIn now. I had a poll that had half a million views last week. It was freaking crazy. I had 300,000, uh, sorry, 30,000 votes or whatever. So polls are crushing it on LinkedIn. And then graphics, just poster sized graphics is what I'm calling them. So uh, LinkedIn has this like bigger size graphic. Mm. Are these like the ones that you like flip through or that, is that the type no, you're talking no, about? That's, so that's a slider. They used to be doing really well, but like these bigger size graphics and videos have been crushing it on LinkedIn. Check out my page if you guys want to see what I'm talking about. And uh, the external link thing is 100% true. We only put links in the comments. And then the other other tip I have is retarget the people who like and comment on your posts. What I have my team do is when I put up like a micro content video of my podcast, anybody who likes or comments, we send them a DM and we say, thank you so much for recently liking my, you know, episode with Dr. Caroline Leaf. If you want to actually check out the full episode, here's the link, right? So it's all about direct messages to actually get them. And I love the story to the swipe up. That is absolutely the number one way to get listeners on Instagram, in my opinion. Yeah. And one of the things we do as well, I don't know if you do this too, but on our show notes page, I'm trying to remember what the name of the, we use a, I forget what the name of the player is we use, but it allows them on our show notes page to go listen to that episode and Spotify, that episode in Apple podcast, that episode and like a lot like of big Link plays. Tree maybe? No, no, it's not. I mean, the, the embed player we use on our page, it's not the, it's not the typical one you use. Um, I'd have to find out what the name of it was later, but it allows you to go directly to that episode. So then we can use the show notes page as the link to swipe up and then people can choose what platform they want to listen to it on. That's a, that's, wow, that's a really perfect. big deal. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great idea. Or you could just like swipe up to a link tree. Really cool stuff. Jeremy, it was such a pleasure to speak with you today. The last question I ask all my guests is, what is your secret to profiting in life? To me, it's really realizing what my priorities are and putting them first. Because I find, at least for me when I was younger, one of the things that I did is far too often been to, you know, this person wants that from me or this person wants, you know, this from me. And I find that you have to get better at saying no because you'll commit to things where you're not very happy doing it. So you're just going to do a bad job or you're not going to do it at all. So then nobody's happy. So it's really finding out what your priorities are and realizing that when you say no more often than yes, your yeses really matter and they're really a good thing. And that's going to help you be more successful in everything else you're doing. I totally agree. Priorities are so important. And where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do? Absolutely. So if they want to check out everything we're doing um, at Command Your Brand, I put together a really awesome piece for them on how they can, you know, find out more of the things they don't know about not getting featured in their favorite podcast. So it's called The Seven Reasons You're Not Getting Featured in Your Favorite Podcast. And that is over at commandyourbrand.com slash seven reasons. And the word seven or the number seven will work for that. Perfect. We'll stick that link in the show notes and make sure that we support Ryan. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Jeremy Ryan Slate. Jeremy's career shows so much strength and perseverance, and it's really important to have a great personal brand in this digital age that we live in. Really, a digital brand these days can be comparable as having a good first impression. So when you meet somebody in person, it takes about 30 seconds for them to make an impression of you. And it's very hard to change that initial impression. Even if you meet that person over and over again and have multiple interactions with them, they're always going to remember you by that first 30 seconds that they met you. It's just in our human nature. And so your digital brand reminds me of that a lot because people will be searching for you on Google for 30 seconds. And whatever they find about you in that 30 seconds is what they think of you as especially if you never meet in person. So it's like they do a quick search and then they've kind of judged who you are. And you could be a top expert in your field. You could be at the top of your field. But if you have no digital presence and someone search for you, you could get passed up for opportunities for someone who is less experienced than you just because you don't have a digital brand. So you have a digital brand, whether you like it or not. And it's just really up to you what you want people to see. And so every day gets more and more important to start your digital brand. The other takeaway I had for this episode was when we discussed how we should focus on our purpose instead of just our passions. We always need to be reflecting inward so that we can understand our strengths and all the value that we bring to the table. And we also need to remember that life is so short to just coast through it. I mean, after Jeremy's mom's accident, she had a stroke and then he had the motivation to find something he was actually good at. And that 
circumstance that his mom went through really fueled him because he felt like, you know, he has one life to live and he's got to control his life. And that led him to becoming the master podcaster that he is today. And most of you guys probably know that I can relate since my dad's passing. Yap has literally grown 2000%. My downloads have grown 2000%. I grew a company from basically no employees to 40 employees since he passed away last May. And it was because it gave me that fire under my butt that I really, really needed. And I really just want everybody to remember that you need to embrace new opportunities, take as many experiences as you can, don't waste time and energy on things that don't make you happy. And in order to profit, you have to push through fear and realize that taking action, even when we're 100% not ready and when things are 100% not perfect, is the best way to go and the only way we can truly grow. So remember, just take that messy action, get those experiences, stack those skills so that one day you can find a career that you truly, truly flourish in. If you want to learn more about how we can find our true purpose, check out episode number 98, Design Your Dream Career with Ashley Stahl. Here's a clip from that episode. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of three-worded tirades that feel really good when people say them, but you don't really know what to do with them and follow your passion, do what you love, and the money will follow. All of those things feel good in theory, but I think they leave us a little bit more lost than we even started with because if we're being completely honest with ourselves, we can be passionate and even interested in a lot of different things. But there's a big difference between being a consumer of something and a creator or a producer of that thing. So in my case, I love fashion. I love cupcakes. I would be a horrible fashion designer. I would be a horrible cupcake baker. They Just because I have an interest or a passion in something, uh, it doesn't equate to a skill set in it. And so my biggest advice I would say for career advisors and anybody in their career right now is to upgrade the quality of questions that you're asking yourself to get clarity in your career. And that starts with instead of asking yourself, what industry do I want to be in? What am I passionate about? Those are good questions. But what a great question is to me is what is my best core skill set? When have people seen me at my best? Again, if you want to avoid being misled by overused mantras like follow your passion, check out number 98, Design Your Dream Career with Ashley Stahl. If you haven't subscribed to Young and Profiting Podcast, please make sure you do so that you can be alerted every time we drop a new episode. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please drop us a review or comment on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Podbean, or wherever you listen to these podcasts. I want to shout out two reviews this week. The first one is from Julio Valenzuela, who listens on CastBox. Yap is a super awesome powerhouse for cultivating pearls of wisdom from subject matter experts. I listen to this podcast to learn the latest of the greatest scoop on how to enhance productivity, influencer, and side hustle skills. I highly recommend listening to Hala Taha and her fabulous guests. Wow, Julio, what a sweet interview. Thank you so much. And the next review is from TMAC1986. Young and Profiting interview with Dr. Caroline Leaf. The show with Dr. Caroline was awesome. So much great information. Still have a lot to take in, but very informative. You are a great interviewer. Whoa, great job, Hala. For those interested in the episode TMAC is referencing, it's episode number 114 with Dr. Caroline Leaf. And she also recently joined me on a clubhouse panel called Yap Live, Conquering Invisible Enemies, a mental health masterclass presented by Talkspace. If you guys enjoyed the episode with Dr. Caroline, definitely check out the Yap Live that we had with her. And if you haven't checked out either of them, I would highly encourage you to do so. Dr. Caroline Leaf is absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, guys, for your reviews. And if you would like to be featured on Young and Profiting Podcasts like TMAC and like Julio, make sure you drop us a review. You can drop us a review on your favorite platform. And it is the number one way to thank us here at Young and Profiting Podcast. We are so grateful for all of our listeners and all of your support. You can find me and connect with me on Instagram at Yap with Hala or LinkedIn. Just search for my name, Hala Taha. And I'm also on Clubhouse. I host events in there almost every single day. You can follow me there at Hala Taha. And big thanks to the Yap team. As always, this is Hala signing off.